pretty sort of scary bucket, a lot of those things that, that people could do mm. to to trick uh, AI. It's it's likely just in the same way people get tricked, right? That's the thing when you're when you're trying to create a machine that operates like a human, uh, it's going to be susceptible in the in the ways that uh, that we are. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. Hey folks, greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Spain. Today we have guest Daniel Shu from X joining us. Welcome, Daniel. Uh, hi, Paul. Yeah, great to be here. Great to, great to have you on the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Uh, first time on, so uh, that's that's exciting. Maybe you can just give a you know a quick intro in terms of where you fit into this big wide world of tech. <laughs> yes, um, thanks, Paul. Well, it, um, I'm sure everyone's kind of thinking about AI lately, given how how prominent ChatGPT is out there. Uh, so we're a New Zealand artificial intelligence consultancy, and we specialize in helping uh, large organizations uh, manage the customer support, customer service uh, from an um, automation perspective. So it enables a cust- um, an organization to pr- uh, respond to customer inquiries, requests uh, promptly using a suite of technologies. Brilliant, brilliant. I oh, will look forward to hearing more about that during the show. Uh First up, big thank you to our show partners, of course, to 1NZ, 2Degrees, Spark, HP, and Gorilla Technology. Uh, and yeah, let's jump into the news of the week, and then we'll, we'll get in and, and hear uh, more about Element X. So first up, it caught my attention that the BBC were uh, reporting some interesting uh, comments from um, Mark Zuckerberg, not about the upcoming cage fight, uh, <laughs> nothing, nothing to do with... Uh, with that, but it, it, it was to do with uh, threads, and it referenced effectively that um, threads users are, are down by um, more than half. So, uh, yeah, kind of interesting to 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 see that. But I I think you know even though they're uh, it might seem like they're they're down for the count. Uh, I I think. You know the the scale of uh, user base and and power uh, that Meta have amongst their social media uh, users means I wouldn't I wouldn't be writing them off just yet, uh, but I I thought well that's um yeah that's that's probably a, a big uh, pre f- pre fight uh, blow uh, for Zuckerberg before he even gets in the uh, in in the ring with uh, the real ring uh, yes. with 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 Musk. Um, I'm starting to think that that cage fight's never going to go ahead, but um, um, it's it's uh, yeah fun to bounce around the the thought. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what, what do you think around um, around this? So we were chatting earlier, mm. and uh, I was most impressed to hear you. Uh, you're somebody that manages to keep yourself <laughs> off social media generally. Yes, um, I, I I guess I just try to um, minimize the amount of social um, and, and I. I Obviously, we I work in tech, so um, day in day out, we've got phone going off or notifications, and, and sometimes you just want a bit of peace and quiet. Um, the thing with um, Meta, what I find really interesting is that they've just been able to just haul all of their users from other platforms, kind of in a way, cheat cheat their way into this hundred million user base so quickly. Um, but I, I guess a lot of those people, whether they were actually just escaping Twitter, or were they actually just want, or do they actually want to go into threads? So that that I guess time will tell. Yeah, it certainly will. And yeah, I'm not sure how it's going to play out. But you know, we we already have you know other platforms that have got mm. smaller followings, and they're able to continue going. 
the the question would be is if they don't manage to really lift that engagement and and get threads as a really you know pumping platform, do they keep would they keep it alive if they had a really active 10 million, 20 million, 50 million, 100 million? I mean, where where would you draw that that line on whether it's actually uh, worth it in, yeah. the, in the scheme and and scale of it for them and and so on. Uh, and you know we see so many uh, of of the big tech companies mm. that have something that exists, but it maybe isn't really generating a lot of money. Maybe it's generating some, but they will just kick it to the well, kick I mean, it to the take, curb to keep like, focused, um, right? You know, you take Microsoft Skype for example. I don't know. I know back in the day, I, everybody's on Skype, and um, I, I think there's still probably a cult following at the moment. But it's yeah, definitely, yeah. I think Teams has definitely trumped come in. Um, and I think for Meta, it's probably a question around how quickly they can monetize the platform and, and whether that could be a substantial revenue generating source for them. So I guess at the moment there's a delicate balance between user experience, earning back the public's trust before starting to heavily um, uh, put the monetization in, engine behind it. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, I think it, it will be very interesting uh, to to see how how the social media sort of world looks and and say five or five or ten years out from uh, from where we are now because it's it's it has been a uh, you know very much an evolving uh, beast mm. uh, as it were you know the power of of TikTok I think I think uh, most of us didn't you know didn't really see it see it coming I mean I I do remember one of the social media uh, event I w- I was at sort of. Before TikTok was TikTok, and it was musically, and there was a lot of discussion at that point, you know, amongst you know a small group of people that hey, this is this is the next big thing, and yeah, I mean it became probably uh, much much bigger than what what people realised. <laughs> um, another uh, bit of news that caught my attention is that uh, <coughs> Waymo are um, eff- effectively putting the the brakes on their investment in. Um, in self-driving uh, mm. trucks, and yeah, this is interesting. You know, Waymo, which is part of part of Alphabet and what we you know used to uh, think of as the, the Google sort of self-driving vehicles. Uh, you know, they're the they're the the long-standing player in the world of autonomous vehicles, and in the sort of I guess my thinking around autonomy, it seemed like trucking. Would be one of those areas where it could, yeah, you know, it would it would make sense sort of from a business perspective mm. to quite quickly implement and invest in autonomy if it were you know ready and available to be used on the on the road. So uh, yeah, quite interesting to to see uh, Waymo uh, put put that uh, that you know division of their their business. Um, you know, you know, almost almost on on ice. Uh, so yeah, it will, it'll be curious to you know to follow where that goes. But it looks like they're really uh, keeping their focus on the robo taxis, mm. which are which are still <clears throat> you know quite quite limited. Uh, was watching watching a video uh, yesterday from some some folks in and around the sort of San Francisco Bay Area, and you know a couple of them were saying, "Hey, we've got Waymo Beta Access." Uh, but it's not available in our neighbourhood, right? So you've got this amazing technology, but it has to be 
mapped down and you know totally tuned up for the roads that it's going to go on. Otherwise, um, you know, it, d- it doesn't go there. Uh, and then so and then on the you know the flip side, mm. you've got the um, the the com- you know the competing technologies, you know, like what what uh, Tesla uh, are doing. Um, what mobile eye uh, are doing out of out of Israel uh, and and you know this move to to build a system that can in theory operate on on any road uh, anywhere but there's such a big difference uh, between the two in terms of um, uh, disengagements as they as they, as they call it uh, <coughs> it's, it's still a, a one I'm struggling to get my head around and uh, um, yeah, the feeling that we we've all been oversold on uh, on this. What do you, what do you think, Dan? I think the technology is um, is is very promising, um, um, but obviously still needs a lot of R and D. Um, probably in terms of Waymo, um, um, whether it's a question of um, minimum efficient scale that they need to reach, um, or it might be a, a re- regulatory barrier. Um, but sometimes you might just have a technological um, challenge, um, especially with these. I remember one of the earlier um, Tesla models, um, they were susceptible to these um, uh, adversarial attacks. So essentially if you, you, you go and um, uh, take a stop sign um, and you go vandalise uh, the stop, stop sign by drawing particular graffitis or pattern over it, um, that will confuse the AI. Um, and it will confuse the AI to um, think that it, rather than a stop sign, it was actually a speed sign and, and it was a speed limit, 45 miles per hour. So you can imagine like just very subtle edge cases um, uh, and there's probably a thousand or maybe a hundred edge cases they've got a program for. Um, so getting all of that right in order to meet the safety requirement, that, that's, that's a huge challenge. Yeah, that's um, that's a whole other sort of, you know, aspect of it, isn't it? Is the, I guess it sort of would, would fit in a in a pretty sort of scary bucket, a lot of those things that that people could do mm. to to trick a, an autonomous vehicle, uh, AI, and yeah, I don't think yeah probably too many of us are are, uh, are keen uh, to see AI coming to market that can be easily tricked, uh, but it's it's likely just in the same way people get tricked, right? That's the thing when you're when you're trying to create a machine that operates like a human, uh, it's going to be susceptible in the in the in the ways that uh, that we are. And yeah, I imagine you change a stop sign for say a, a, a speed sign, uh, or you take that stop sign down. Um, yeah, some people are going to are going to miss the the yellow lines. Uh, in theory, with an AI, it can be sort of smart enough to to pick up a bunch of that mm. that, that stuff. Um, but yeah, I'm sure we're going to have different types of attacks and so on in, in the future that might be less less than ideal. Um, but, yeah, let's let's see how it plays oh, out. Yeah, it would be, it'd be a, a, a cat and mouse game, just like how like uh, scammers are getting better. Um, yeah. And then we've got people who are building technology to stop them, and then so it will be, be a race. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've wondered about those things in the past, but um, yeah, I kind of quickly go back to well, let, let's let's see if they can get this stuff just working for most scenarios, and uh, and and while there's still a you know still a, a driver uh, in the immediate term, and then they can move on to um, yeah some of those those um, scarier situations. Um, I guess the reason for that that. Um, thought around it coming in trucks is just you know commercially mm. you would you would think that that's quite uh, quite viable but uh, yeah there's obviously some 
some plus sides of of very much focusing uh, on on the ride uh, sharing, and I'm I'm picking that Ray, that Waymo have got the confidence that uh, that that's the the natural uh, should be their, their natural focus for for scaling. So I guess there's yeah there's a there's a lot of Uber rides and taxi rides and so on that go on today. Mm. So uh, it, it's and and they've been putting a big focus on it. So. Yep, makes some makes some sense. Uh, now we read about um, an interesting uh, project where Meta, Microsoft, and Amazon are working uh, together, and it's on. Uh, they're part of a group called the Overture uh, Maps Foundation that was formed uh, in 2022, and they've now uh, released their first. Open map data set. So you know, basically um, themselves, uh, Tom Tom together, uh, collaborating to really take on uh, Google Maps uh, and also uh, Apple Maps uh, to you know create a platform that developers can use. We've had Open Street Maps available for you know for a long time, and and I think that, you know that that gets reasonably well utilised, but. Uh, probably the default go-to is is Google Maps, isn't it? When it comes to you know, if you're writing some software and mm. you need a mapping element, mm. that, that's where you tend to go. And Google have made it you know quite easy. The the you know initial kind of access and tier is free, uh, and uh, and then 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 the costs start coming on if you use it a lot. Why do you, why do you think that they've kind of got together on this? Is it that they don't like paying? Um, <laughs> Money to Google and that they couldn't individually uh, compete. What do, what do you think? Yeah, I, I feel I feel this is a move um, uh, around owning the customer and owning the customer interaction. Because mm. if you look at you look at maps, like um, uh, Google has the benefit of um, uh, advertising through their maps. Uh, they could put if if you go Google Map and you search for a, a, a restaurant or an Italian restaurant or you know that that's mm. their. Mm profit generation engine um, happening in the background and and I think this this is probably where Meta and the other companies are going well um, how can we compete um, how do we be in this picture mm. yeah and from a I guess from a, a consumer even a business perspective it potentially does create some uh, inconvenience and hassle because the more platforms there are the harder it is to know you know, whether you can trust the data because they, you know, people mess with it. Um, but most often it is good for there to be a bit of competition uh, out there. And then I guess if you're, you know, you're a business, you've got to make sure you're, you're, you know, correct information is going on to all these platforms. So when someone's trying to find you, whether it's, yeah, Apple Maps, True. Google, um, or, or Overture, uh, then, yeah, you you want to make sure you've got the right, right data on there. But a lot of work to build out a, a maps platform and then you've got the, the street view type information mm. and lots of layers. So it, it will be interesting whether they're able to to move a lot of people across to Overture, but I guess if if these things are, uh, are getting used by, in, say, Facebook and it's getting used on, on Microsoft's uh, platforms, Amazon are, you know, are, are pushing it through AWS, then... 
you've got to imagine that they're going to gain a, a reasonable amount of traction, right? I, I think the biggest challenge is around uh, device because mo- mo- most people use their maps on mobile mm, um, mm. and you, you've got two, you've got your Android and your iOS who own essentially have proprietary maps that they own on their device. So it's going to be a hard battle for a third party to come in and have an, an end user download from the app store another app that replaces the default version, it has got to be um, a, a, a really strong value proposition. And I, I'm, I'm just not sure what that is for, for Yeah, for I'm not sure if they're going to be targeting that as a as a mobile app or whether it's really just just there that, uh, you know, software developers would, would okay. use it maybe within their own apps. But, yeah, that could be part of the part of the mix. And I guess they're, you're more likely to sort of update it if it's an app that you're familiar with and, and and using, um, but yeah, we we could see you know I guess the likes of Uber and so on you know move across if they make it good enough. But you've got to make it really really good exactly uh, to to convince people to um, use it. Um, other story involving uh, Meta is that um, they've been ordered by uh, Australian courts or the subsidiaries to uh, to pay uh, fourteen million dollars over. Um, some data use, so uh, a subsidiary of them, uh, Israel-based web analytics company uh, Onavo, was something that Facebook acquired a- about a decade uh, ago, and um, their story was that they were all about uh, privacy. Facebook sort of made some commitments, but uh, basically they uh, they didn't actually behave themselves uh, appropriately and uh, got uh, got slapped slapped with a $14 million fine. Now, for me, the bit of this that stands out is that there's a $14 million fine for a, a privacy um, breach, and this is not what we see happening in New Zealand because presumably that same technology uh, platform, which met our own, you know, more than likely exactly what they were doing in Australia, they were probably doing it in, in similar uh, you know, in New Zealand and other markets, and this is to do with their uh, the VPN that they were running, and yeah, it seemed like um, basically, yeah, Australian users could have been pulled into that, but so could have New Zealand users. So yeah, where's the where's the where's the teeth? Where's the uh, uh, the the fine for you know for Meta from from New Zealand? Uh, and that's probably you know my concern is that our you know our legislation um, yeah probably doesn't take some of these things as as seriously as it should and hopefully we can we can learn some lessons from uh, our friends across the across the Tasman on that front. What what do you what do you think? Is it uh, important oh, uh, yeah. that we keep you know tightening up and and, and developing a- our legislation to? You know, to 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 make uh, you know organisations you know take privacy and and cybersecurity more seriously. I think we're definitely. If you look, fourteen million dollars for Meta is like a slap in the wrist. It's it's, it's nothing. Know, yeah, it's, it probably hurt the share price more. Um, 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 and I think I think we've got to we've got to keep these large organisations honest. We've got to we've got to make sure that they are um, adhering to their policies or their commitments to privacy. Um, and wherever they're, they're, they are not honouring that, then someone's got to call them out. Mm, mm. Um, now, another thing that caught my attention was a, um, a technology company focused on the on the world of travel, uh, Mondi, M-O-N-D, 
double E. Uh, they've launched a, a new mobile app and AI uh, chatbot for for travel booking, um, but it, it just caught my attention because it, I mean it's, it's quite some time since I've worked with um, or, or used a travel agent to do uh, to do bookings for me. But seeing you know often the amount of work that that does go on with these bookings, you know some I don't know. If I'm still correct about green screens, but there's there's still some pretty old school kind of you know technology, the way um, the the different travel platforms sort of talk to each other and so on, uh, and it just it just seems like it is really really ripe for you know there to be continuous innovation from an AI uh, perspective. So um, and you know of course there's there's some some innovation uh, there uh, in terms of um, uh, yeah, travel uh, booking sort of related, you know, technologies and so on from, um, you know, from this part of the world. Um, but yeah, that one just sort of jumped out as, well, there's so many possibilities for how you can use AI to, you know, you, you give the AI a little bit of guidance where you want to go, when you want to go, what your preferences are. Um, and, and yeah, it should be able to really map out something that's that's as good as what an individual uh, could do and then give you an amazing sort of itinerary suggestions of of things to do, you know, all in kind of a, a matter of, of milliseconds, right? That, 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 that's like I feel like that that's instantaneous. Like we're, we're a generational um, of like spont- – like we, we want instant gratification. We want instant results. So yep. um, if, if you have to wait on the phone um, – you know, for a travel agent to, to come back with something and then they have to go run off to a dozen third-party uh, sources to get that information for you. That's a lot of time. you got to be very patient for that. Um, but where I think a lot of the power is going to be is around this integration of your preferences. Uh, and companies like Google are probably at like the best position to exploit this because they have my Google Photos album uh, they know what where I've been in the past. They've got my maps history. They know what kind of places I like to visit. So they can probably pull together a better itinerary than anybody else. Yeah, I th- I think you're absolutely spot on there because just asking, you know, just going into say a chat bot and saying I want this and that, there's going to be so much that you leave out uh, that's actually important to you that you forget about when you're thinking through how 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 you book travel. You know, how much time you stop in varying places, um, you know what sort of accommodation that, that you like. But if you if you were to drill through all that that knowledge and history, if you can capture that uh, and feed that to the platform as well, that's you know where you would probably get the real kind of gold in terms of wow, I couldn't have done that better myself with a hundred hours at you know. <laughs> At, at hand. Um, They'll have to rewrite yeah. all of their privacy policies though, to, in order to do something like yeah, that. Yeah, well, that, and that's the, that's the flip side challenge, isn't it? Is how, do you, uh, how do you get that without, you know, spooking people uh, too much or, uh, yeah, do you just make that data available for a very short time and, and that gets kept in your own, um, you know, in your own vault? And, we've you know, there have been – varying chats around, you know, what, what the role of blockchain might be in these sorts of things in future and you open up access to a certain bit of information for a certain period of time, it gets utilised and then it's, uh, um, you know, back under under lock and key rather than necessarily, um, yeah, a, a platform having full, you know, 
24-7, well, through to lifelong, you know, mm. uh, storage of, of your data. <laughs> uh, so I think there, there's a fair bit of innovation ahead uh, for, for um, you know, in this case with, with Mondi, they're, they're focusing on, you know, the wholesale level. So, uh, you know, more on the, the, the travel agents uh, as, as their audience. And I think that's a, is a really important audience to, to go after who – yeah, it probably makes a lot of sense to focus on that audience at this point in time because if you can save them an hour and they can get, you know, they can do two hours work in in, in one hour or in half an hour yeah. or, or however you, you know, however you do that, uh, then you know it's pretty easy to get uh, to get paid and get a return for that. But longer term, you know, I th- I think you know we're we're gonna be expecting you know this as as consumers to have so, access so they're, they're, to they're essentially following the following the uber playbook is um is sell a productivity tool to help 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 your users then they will then use it and and help build a self-service version yeah yeah i would uh yeah i think it'll be it'll be um uh a bit of a a bit of a journey for them to figure that out but yeah they'll probably take advantage of all of the requests that come in from travel agents before use that, that as training data. Yeah, yeah, it gets used to deliver to to the broader population. Uh, one more topic that uh, that caught my attention. I do always love um, chatting about uh, robots, and in fact, we wandered upstairs in, in the building and into a, a firm that uh, does a does a bit of work in the um, robotics uh, space, didn't we? Bef- earlier on. Yes, so this is um, quite um, quite familiar with this company. I um, personally worked, worked with them many many years ago. Um, it's a company called PowerOn. It's a spin out out of <clears throat> out of the University of Auckland uh, and really focused around building soft robotics um, and, and uh, robots that can uh, move uh, in in an environment where um, you, you need to have a degree of um, uh, I, I guess uh, when it collides with anybody that you're not hurting people along the way. And so, and and that's a whole new game of um, hardware that needs to be developed. And it's just so cool seeing hardware companies come out of New Zealand. Mm. Very rarely mm. you, yeah. you see that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah. So we'll have to delve into them um, another time. But the on that robotics uh, topic uh, was was reading around a uh, a robot uh, called the Autocado, uh, which uh, which takes your uh, avocados and uh, turns them into guacamole. Apparently, this is or well, it, it does part of the process uh, for Chipotle, which is yeah, one of the one of the fastest growing um, uh, fast food outlets in the in, in the in the US. Uh, I don't know if you've tasted their their food, but I've found it pretty good uh, when when I've tried it. Uh, you know, good good Mexican, and uh, yeah, they're they're getting the um, uh, the machine to help with the the proce- processing, you know, big batch of uh, of guacamole, which uh, w- which means dealing with a lot of uh, av- avocados. So um, yeah, taking the um, um, uh, the stone or the core out of the avocado, uh, peeling it, and then getting it ready to be you know dealt dealt with um, by by human. Uh, chef, so it's not doing the whole job, um, but it's doing probably the uh, you know a time-consuming part <laughs> of the, the the job. That's uh, that that's quite important, and it can um, deal with 
uh, about 11 kilos uh, of avocados in a, in a single uh, load. So it uh, goes through and, and, and preps up the uh, the avocados. So I imagine there'd be um, there'd be a few uh, probably Mexican uh, restaurants around the country uh, in New Zealand that could benefit from uh, from that that sort of tech. Sounds. Uh, Sounds good. So yeah, the robots continue to to roll on, um, and it's uh, it's just the the latest. Well, let's uh, let's delve in. I'm I'm really keen to hear a little bit more, uh, Dan, around um, Element Element X, and uh, you know, first off, yeah, how did you get started? What was the what was the beginning? What's the the founding sort of story? Well, we we started the business about 10 years ago. Um, We initially uh, was in the healthcare IoT space. Um, I'm I'm an engineer by um, background training. Um, And we were, uh, the problem we were solving at the time was around skin cancer and trying to uh, prevent people uh, from getting sunburned, which leads to skin cancer. Um, And kind of we we built our business around that for a number of years. Uh, And then in about 2016, um, we saw this. AI wave just come and the market was reacting. Um, uh, technology was being built. Uh, uh, companies were, uh, businesses were spending more in, in, in AI. And so that's when we really decided to double down and, and building AI tools, technologies or solutions uh, on a variety of um, um, uh, platforms. Great. And I, I see uh, from, yeah, from your website, you, you know, very much do work across a variety of, of you know, technology platforms uh, yeah, partnered with IBM, um, Google Cloud Partner, uh, Microsoft, and, and AWS. So you've obviously got a real mix of uh, you know expertise ac- across a lot of te- a lot of technologies. So you can turn your hands to a range of different um, directions. But what has been your your main focus? Yeah, I'll, I'll focus um, kind of in the last couple of years has been more around solving a very specific problem. Um, and that's around um, customer support, customer service, and more, more specifically for higher education, so mm. u- universities. Um, and, and universities have a really, um, I guess, um, interesting type of institutional business because um, their requirements are quite quite unique to them. Yep. Yep. Um, they have very um, predictable but seasonal um, load, seasonal traffic. Um, uh, they have um, just a really diverse range of students or, or customers. You know, you get everything from a, a, high, a high school leaver to a, um, a mature student returning back to study. Then you've got international students who, who don't, who English is not the first language. And, and then you've got such a wide variety of um, customer support inquiries. Um, so so that, that's quite a unique combination to solve. And, and I think um, where, where AI is at the moment, it's, it's, it's like the perfect tool to be able to, to do that. So walk us through what you know what you're what you're building on on that front, and um, you know who are you working yeah. working with? I know before we uh, started the podcast, we we talked a little bit about um, Auckland University, uh, and you've been you've been speaking um, at AI event uh, today uh, that Microsoft and and others been involved in, and. Uh, uh, it was Phil Sheehan was sort of saying that uh, yeah, yeah it's some pretty good things to to share there. So um, yeah, tell tell us a, a, a little bit more. Yeah, a, a lot of um, a lot of the strategy um, uh, around dealing with um, uh, ma- making sure you have really good customer support um, is around automation, mm. um, and it's uh, uh, quite a bit of that is around self service. 
So self-service is things like having a really good knowledge base on your website, mm-hmm. having content that's easily discoverable, uh, having a search engine that works on your website uh, that actually returns the results, um, having a, a, a 24-7 virtual assistant that you can talk to um, in any language you want across a variety of channels. So what, what we're finding is that if you employ um, a lot of uh, self-service tools, then you've got your customers there. And c- customers are smart. Um, uh, they, they, they also want to know the answer straight away. They don't want to have to wait and call up and get put on hold. So if you, if you um, employ a lot of these what we call tier zero services, um, that will uh, automatically reduce a lot of the load or traffic that's coming through to your frontline staff. Um, and then from the frontline side, you've got um, a lot of um, productivity tools, things like um, uh, uh, summarization, searching and finding information, uh, making that easier, um, automatically routing calls to the right people, uh, triaging emails. So a lot of AI-assisted um, uh, tools uh, that's assisting frontline staff. And how do you see this sort of playing out from a perspective of how much can we give over to, to the bots? You know, how much can you give over uh, when it comes to sort of customer service, to to artificial intelligence, and you know, as, can you easily kind of define the the lines that you know maybe you cross when it becomes a, a bad experience for uh, you know for for an individual to kind of deal with the technology when they're really trying to get through to uh, to a human? Because there's, there's probably two sides to that. You know, if everyone wants to get through to to a human, then you don't get any benefit from the technology, and you know you've 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 built out all these resources, and people aren't taking advantage of it. Um, so you do really want to push things forward when there is an appropriate knowledge base, mm. you know, article or you know something that can that can be really really helpful. Um, but yeah, d- different individuals will feel differently around interacting. You know, with technology, and I guess we've had aspects of that with, um, yeah, varying sort of customer service lines that uh, that we call. And on one side, you've got oh, there's an hour wait to get through to you know Air New Zealand or whoever it is. Uh, on the other side, it's uh, um, yeah, the technology trying to help you, and maybe you know, provide something instantly. <laughs> Absolutely right. I mean, no, nobody wants to um, uh, call up a company or. If, if you if you ever ran out of your um, Spotify subscription, just call up a call, call up one of those um, businesses with a really heavy customer support line. Just listen to free music for an hour. <laughs> um, I think I think part of this around how much to automate, how much to use AI, and how much to use um, hu- uh, human customer service. It, it very much depends on what your customers want, and and supporting that. So if um, you know, for example, myself, I'm I'm happy to self-service. Um, I'm quite. Um, I, I tend to prefer to go onto a website or um, to be able to talk to a bot and get what I need. Uh, my mum, on the other hand, uh, no amount of automation will, will like satisfy her needs. She just she needs if it's face to face, she'll she'll go drive 20 minutes to a bank just to go speak, walk, wait in line, and go talk to someone at the other end. Um, so I think a lot of the technology is just enabling every type of customer, every type of user to have their preferred way of uh, uh, c- communication. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a that's a good way to put it. And I mean, what are you noticing in terms of those 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 trends in terms of who who are the sorts of people that are happy to self serve? Is it you know is it age? Is it you know is it quite clear to you know, differentiate who those different 
groups are and and then you know from a technological perspective do you then yeah use the technology to look when a, when the phone say the phone rings and someone's trying to call through do you then go and look up and go oh that's the mobile <laughs> number of of Paul Spain so we're going to kick Paul Spain into into this direction he can talk to that AI versus somebody else in the, in the same family even who is more keen for a different sort of approach I think that personalization component is going to be a big part uh, so um, being able to um, offer, say, Paul Spain the, the best channel and the way that you like to interact with a business, um, if it means Twitter and you just prefer to tweet a business and get yeah. your response back in 150 characters, then, then let's make sure that we're doing that. Um, and, and at the moment, um, if you're looking at like traditional contact center or customer requests, um, you've got email, phone as the, still the primary number one, two forms or channels. Um, but then you'll get, you know, we talked about threads. Um, you know, I, I have no doubt that soon um, businesses will have to have an active threads team to monitor requests, customer mm. inquiries or customer contacts through that channel. So this, what we're seeing is more and more channels um, uh, um, are being created. And uh, now there's very much an omni-channel strategy. Yeah. And that, that's interesting. Um I've noticed a sort of rise in some of the you know platforms like WhatsApp becoming a channel that you'll get you know a vendor maybe it's a courier company uh, that will ping you a WhatsApp message uh, you know when your when your package is kind of en route and so on. So um, these things just keep changing, don't they? And and it's it's to do with um, cultural preferences as well. Um, mm-hmm. um, uh, I have family members. Um, I'm, I'm Chinese, and and uh, kind of the default social media is WeChat. WeChat yes. pretty much runs everything yeah. um, in that ecosystem. And and so if you want to have a presence to that community, you, you really have to think about how do I bring in WeChat as part of my um, omni-channel strategy. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that, that's that's quite quite important. But it also you know potentially is quite challenging from a technology perspective to you that you've got to support just so so many uh, channels and then if you don't you're you're leaving some people out out in the cold uh, yeah create you yeah you're creating a, a, quite a few problems there so what does that that what does that mean for you in terms of the technology you're developing how do you support all these bits and pieces it's uh, it's just a lot more work isn't it uh, well, y- yes and no, and, and, and you're, you're correct that um, you know the old way would have been uh, for every single channel. Let's go build out an AI for that. Uh, now that's horribly inefficient because then you've got to you know you, you got to manage and con- your your content on all of those channels, and essentially you're you're building cookie cut or repeat things on so many different ways, um, uh, which is very inefficient. Um, for us, um, we're we're, um, we're really lucky to be able to leverage um, quite a few omni-channel tools. Um, things like IBM Watson Assistant, which allows you to then build once and then connect, uh, and then we can uh, have the same brains, if you like, uh, and then connect connect that to WhatsApp or um, TikTok or other yep. channels as they yep. come. Yeah, yeah, okay, cool. So, so how much lifting can are you finding that that you know IBM's Watson can can do for you? You know, obviously, if you fire something at say the um, you know GPT four, you know API. You can you can ask it, say, you know, give you an answer on something, and then maybe wrap some constraints around it because you know, oh, this one's for, you know, uh, X, or this one's for 
WhatsApp or, or what have you, and you'll have your different sort of length and formatting and other sorts of constraints, so I guess. Um, with, with Watson, is that sort of similar, or uh, can you actually just mention the platforms and it, it knows, I guess, how to do it? And I guess, yeah, maybe um, GPT-4, you could probably do the same sort of things, mention the platforms, and it, it probably knows enough to be able to uh, do some of that lifting as well. Yeah, so what, what we're seeing is... Um You've got these um, kind of general purpose AI, like like um, ChatGPT that's built on GPT-4 as the mm, large mm. language model. Now, they're very good in terms of answering general questions about um, who, uh, who won the election in 2016, et cetera, right? Um, but they're not as good when it comes to um, very specific information about your business. So that that's where um, we have to move to more of an uh, enterprise-level um, uh, tool where it's uh, bring your own data. And so um, uh, the customers or, um, uh, that we work with very much, uh, very much bring their own knowledge bases, their own content that's unique about their, their business. And then you, you use um, AI to be able to learn from that content and then uh, reply and, and generate responses that's, that's based factually based on your, your content. Mm-hmm. And... Um I guess in, in addition to sort of the you know bigger vendors, we've got stuff like um, you know Llama from from Meta. Is that do you, you know do you see that as an important part of the the ecosystem? I think I think well because um, Llama I think is open source um, to, a, to some degree. I've seen some debate <laughs> about whether it's truly open source and it's you probably know, a spectrum. Of, in, yeah, in terms of the particular open source uh, model that they're under, but yeah. I think I think it's it's absolutely critical that we do have a, a marketplace or alternatives around selecting uh, large language models, um, and, and there are um, I, I think I saw over thirty the other day, um, and that had ranked them around um, their specific tests that they perform on how well does this model work, um, and I think that's really important uh, from an end user or safety perspective um, because um, uh, th- these models obviously are very expensive to create, and if we only have one or two key players who essentially own the market, then it just gives them a, a huge amount of power. Um, and, and so I think that that's what a lot of the open source communities have, have recognized and then hence why there's a lot of movement to recreate open source versions of things like GPT-4. Yeah, yeah, look, I, I mean, I think the, the competition side is uh, is pleasing, but it's it's in many ways, I think, with large language models, if you're, you know, if you're building something, you can, you know, you can probably connect into a whole bunch of them, right? So you're not actually necessarily forced to have all your eggs in in one particular basket. It's not a, it's not a huge leap to to, you know, be tapping into multiple uh, large language models and then, you know, have your users decide and and feedback, you know, where the best results are, are coming from. And I imagine that'll be, you know, part of what we will, you know, what we'll often sort of see as you actually put them side by side and and see ultimately what delivers and 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 the decision uh will will come i don't know whether you can throw an ai over the top of uh you put one large language model over the top of a a bunch of others and then it adjudicates and works out for itself which one has given the best answer so you don't even need the uh, uh people to feed that back but um yeah i think there's it's going to be uh, yeah, a fair bit of fun to keep to keep our our developers, uh, you know, busy and uh, and entertained for a while to come. Um, but that probably brings us to the to the next topic with sort of the role of AI. 
uh, which is the the software development world, and you know tools like uh, Copilot uh, coming through to actually you know start producing code for us. How do, how do you see that sort of playing out over the the, the next few years? Uh, you know, I, I just feel so excited about this 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 potential um, because if you if you look at um, uh, how tools like um, generative AI can generate software or code. Um, that, that's amazing, um, and just um, you know, we, we've got our team at LMNX already using that to improve their own uh, coding or pro- productivity. Um, but where I think the, a lot of the value will be will be um, uh, creating software that has previously been uneconomical for a business to go and create. Yes, yes. Things like in very niche applications, you know, um, you know, like it, 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 there's a chatbot for every type of banking financial service, but there is no chatbot for like meat processing or you know so there's a lot of industries that don't have the benefit of um, having a large market size large um, spending power to be able to incentivize these startups or companies to be building tailored or custom software for them and so i think this area of generative software generative code is going to fill that gap and it's going to fill that gap of really long tail applications yeah, I, I I agree. Actually, I think that's um, is going to be one of the key things. Obviously, uh, yeah, those that are working on on bigger developments and so on that allows them to to move faster uh, with access to this type of technology. Uh, but yeah, there'll be scenarios where it just didn't make you know didn't make any sense from a business perspective uh, to have have the the benefits of uh, of of custom. Uh, develop software or, or something that would you know fit like a, a glove for a particular scenario and I think we'll we'll definitely see that uh, that changing more and more and I think there's a there's probably a whole range of other you know scenarios in terms of um, you know how AI you know, potentially changes the the picture in terms of uh, keeping our code secure and, and monitoring it as well as the the sort of cybersecurity protection uh, side that I think we'll, we'll see a lot more uh, going on on that front. So yeah, lots of lots of exciting things ahead, isn't there? A- a- absolutely. I think like one one of the things I saw from recently because um, Google um, Google's got their competitor to GPT. Um, um, it's called Bard, um, and it's built on the Palm Two model. And I went through their technical paper, and they talked like one of the features they talked a lot about was around um, commenting, uh, commenting code, and be able to explain lines of code what that meant but explain it in different languages so i see it so i see it as a real um teaching assistant type tool yes, to help yeah. help software developers engineers especially um uh, those that are graduating or junior at the junior level to be able to coach them and walk them through in and in, in that kind of way yeah that's it's a good it's a good point another really important area um anything else you wanted to add before we uh, before we wrap up Oh, um, thanks, Paul. It's been a really delightful conversation. Yeah, great, great to have you on on the show, and we'll certainly look forward, uh, you know, to to hearing more on the Element X story along along the way. So definitely keep in touch uh, on that front. Uh, thank you, everybody, for for joining us and for for listening in, uh, and of course a big thank you to our show partners, Two Degrees, Spark, HP, One NZ, and Gorilla Technology. All right, well, we'll catch you uh, next week on the next episode of the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Uh, thanks again for listening in. And if you've been watching uh, the live stream, watching any of the video, of course, be sure to uh, uh, to find the podcast in your uh, audio podcast uh, app so you can uh, follow and, and subscribe and catch uh, future episodes. 
Uh, and if you're listening to to the audio, which of course is, is most, uh, then uh, you know do look out for us on the live streaming platforms, and that gives you a chance just to to tap into the New Zealand Tech Podcast uh, a little bit fresher. Uh, most Tuesday afternoons we are uh, we are streaming, uh, and uh, yeah, you'll find uh, you can follow myself, Paul Spain. Uh, on LinkedIn to catch those streams. That's where we, we will uh, often uh, get uh, uh, viewers, but we're also with NZ Tech Podcast uh, across what was Twitter, across X, uh, Facebook, uh, and uh, and YouTube. So certainly look us up on you know whatever uh, platform you most enjoy uh, consuming video on as well. All right, thanks. We'll catch you on the next episode. And thanks again, Daniel. Thanks, Paul. All right. Cheers. Cheers. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.